such things are afoot at the Circle K. chosen one to host the show, but hosting is a full-time commitment, and he's been a little distracted lately. Trinity. See what I'm talking about? Listen here, you beautiful bitch, I'm about to fuck you up with some truth. Watch the sass, Captain Sassy Pants. Yeah, you're kind of spazzing out, dude. You haven't answered my question. Yes, I did. You see, what You I... haven't answered my... I'm trying. You just need to let me talk. Why am I here? You shut up. You won't let it. No, you won't let it! I'm the one who talks! Okay, mouth shut! Ears open! You haven't had You do not want to see me get out of this chair! Let's go back. Way back. In something called the Wayback Machine. To when Johnny Doe was just an adolescent pimple face no pussy getting dork <laughs> or i like to say high school what's up everybody this is johnny motherfucking doe and you've reached the airwaves of strange things are foot at the circle k your destination for everything uh <clears throat> stupid ridiculous uh a lot of bitching going on lately on these airwaves but, uh, you know, there's a reason for that. All right? Context is everything. <clears throat> the world, um, you know, on a micro level, <clears throat> you know, I-, I deal with my job, my wife, you know, neighbors, um, local ordinances, you know, mask mandates, you know, things like that. Um, but I like to think about the bigger picture because I think... Even though my personal philosophy is we definitely need to pay attention to our own lives and try to make ourselves the best people we can be, I think we also have to always pay attention to the big picture because things are doing or things are, uh, people are doing things um, under the guise of something else. And and, uh, I, I, I paraphrase Benjamin Franklin all the time about, you know, that uh, statement where he said, you know, you're not going to lose all your freedoms. They just slowly erode away. And you're just going to wake up one day and they're, you know, they're they're gone. And you, and you don't know how you lost them. You don't know how to get them back. Um, and so those, that is something that I, I complain about a lot of shit. Some of it's for theatrics, um, not to break the fourth wall. But um, it's my opinion. I just maybe uh, get a little more hype than I really give a shit about. But this is something I truly, truly uh, makes me nervous about the world and the direction we're going in is censorship. Um, so uh, let me, let's get back to how I started when we're talking about the Wayback Machine. We're visiting Johnny Doe as a... Uh, We'll say a senior in high school. Yeah, I wasn't getting pussy 
in uh, my senior year of high school, <laughs> believe it or not. It's, it's amazing that I get it now, um, but I digress. <laughs> um, you know, when I was in high school and my dream was to be a comic book artist, an illustrator, um, and I was balls deep into comic books. I loved them, okay? Uh, the X-Men, uh, X-Factor, um, Spider-Man, Image Comics just came out in 92 and I like Spawn um, Wildcats the list goes on and on there was a ton of comic books that I read um, and over the years um, after diligent work I was able to have a small meager career in the comic book industry as a very small illustrator I wrote some stories. Anyway, uh, this isn't about stroking my ego. The point is that I was into comic books and one of my favorite comic book authors slash um, writers, creators, personalities, whatever, who's very famous today, even though you might not know him by name, but you've probably seen his works on the big screen or his uh, big screen adaptations that were influenced by his work. His name is Frank Miller. And Frank Miller was, he didn't found this organization, but he helped found it. And one of the people that was like real big into it was a comic book um, owner, comic book store owner in my town or my city of Kansas City um, who was one of I, he was like the president of the CBLDF is what it's called the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, and at first I didn't know what that was, and I didn't know why it was important. And then I started reading about censorship. Now, when I was in high school, uh, censorship. My first introduction to that was I was really into hip-hop music, rap music, uh, a typical white kid uh, that thought, oh, um, I'm going to act black. Um, but that was my introduction um, to quote-unquote black culture until some of my black friends was like, hey, man, we're not all fucking gang members and selling drugs. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I thought this was your culture. And they're like, no, dumbass. That's like, there's parts of it. It's just kind of like, trailer parks and white people. It's not all white people, you dumb motherfucker. Anyway, so um, I was really into rap music and censorship was in the news because the Two Live Crew um, and even NWA, uh, later Ice-T, um, there was a politician's wife, if you remember Al Gore, his wife, Tipper Gore, uh, kind of got on her soapbox about things that were uh, obscene is what they called it or offensive and they were trying to enact laws saying that you cannot do certain things make songs sing songs about certain things and censorship reared its ugly head um, and really the most that came out of it fortunately for us was we the, the record industry had to put labels on things that were offensive, quote unquote, you know, like the the labels basically saying that, hey, this is for adults. But there was a big push to the extent where 
some of these rap artists, two live crew, uh, especially got thrown in jail because of singing certain lyrics or rapping certain lyrics. And this is the United States of America. A lot of people weren't up in arms about it because, well, quite frankly, these were hood black dudes from Miami and they could give a shit about them going to jail. I'm assuming. I'm assuming that's why uh, they didn't care. But at the time, I didn't understand why it was so important. And then once I got into, really got into comic books and learned about the CBLDF, I'm like, what is this comic book legal defense fund? What is it for? And it was because there was some comic book shop owners that got sued because of something in there that they they were selling. Um, A kid bought it and a a parent read it and said, well, this is offensive. My My kid shouldn't be allowed to buy this. And they sued the comic book salesman. And um, they essentially bankrupted him. And a lot of comic book creators came to his defense and, and helped fund his legal defense. And then started this organization called the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Because most illustrators, artists, people working in this business, you know, they don't have insurance. They don't have big companies. They barely make ends meet. They get paid a, a flat rate or a page rate for their work. They're like private contractors. They don't work for a big corporation, especially the small press guys. And so if someone was going to be litigious, meaning you know they're going to look to sue, sue them uh, for damages, they're an easy target. Um, especially because people thought, well, because they're a comic artist or writer, whatever, creator, they well, they must be rich, but they weren't. So... The Comic Book Legal Defense Fund was a my very first, uh, I can't remember if it's a charity or a not-for-profit. I think it was a charity. I don't even think it was a not-for-profit. But anyway, I digress. The first time I really got political and got involved in anything. And all my friends that were in the comic book industry were on the left. They were all liberal. And I was too because I was young. I was an artist. Um, I thought to myself, well, this is a great cause because... They're trying to put people in jail for, I mean, they should have freedom of speech. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the First Amendment, freedom of speech, you know, it protects some of the other amendments, right? But people get it convoluted. They go, well, it's, it's about the government can't silence your speech. Well, you know, you're only a few steps removed when one, you know, the Tipper Gore thing, it was the government. And two, if someone can sue you, well, that it kind of is the government. I know it's a private lawsuit, but it's, you got judges involved and, and people trying to say that you're committing a crime. Um, if, if somebody charges you with a crime, then that's, that's the government that's doing that. Essentially, the government is silencing you. And so um, I got really into understanding a little bit more about the amendments, the constitutions, why we have our freedoms. And throughout my comic book career, every once in a while, you would run into those people that, that um, especially religious groups that were very much trying to shut your stuff down because it was offensive. Okay. And uh, I remember how um, 
you know, when they try to shut down like porn and stuff, porn's a billion dollar industry, right? And at the time, comic books, they weren't making all these comic book movies and stuff. So comic books was a relatively small industry relative. So, you know, there's not near as much lobbying and things like that. So, you know, porn, um, they were going to be able to defend themselves where comic books and comic book creators might not be. So anyway, long story short, I donated to them. I became a member. I was a card-carrying member for a decade. I, I contributed. I was poor, but I still paid my dues and, and paid a lot of money to the comic defense fund, even did comic books that all the proceeds went to the uh, comic book legal defense fund. But anyway, so that was my first um, my first interaction or uh, first time I, it really became real to me like, oh, these rights that we have, quote unquote, they mean something. Like there's a reason why people literally, I mean, this isn't hyperbole. People literally died for those freedoms, right? Um, we, we say that all the time. People died for your freedoms. and But we just, it's just a saying now. But it's just stop to think about that. At one point, there were people saying, we don't have these freedoms, so we're going to travel to a distant land and um, because we don't like to have uh, the monarchy have their thumb on us. At first, it was religious freedom. But then when they decided to make this, the colonies, into a country and declare their independence, and they were coming up with those founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. When they were drafting those, they were trying to figure out what freedoms should be self-evident. Which freedoms are truly important. And of course, you know, the right to bear arms, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, and of course, freedom of speech. We, we, you have to allow people to have discourse, have disagreements. We have to allow people to share their opinions. I understand there should be some limits inciting violence and things of that nature. But even that, um, I think that if people were a little bit more uh, open-minded to hearing opinions and then judging people based on those opinions, I think that, you know, uh, those people, you could police them up a little bit easier. But anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to get onto that topic. But let's, let's just say that I do not take for granted that there were people that when they said, hey, I'm, I'm going to put this in this document and I'm willing to, to die for those rights. Like if somebody tries to take those rights away, we're taking up arms. I mean, that's the whole point of the Second Amendment is that those that First Amendment is so important that we need something like the Second Amendment to say, okay, we need a way to guarantee no one can take these freedoms away. And the right to bear arms, uh, militias, all that is extremely important because it's checks and balances. If you, you could say, I mean, our founding fathers, it's amazing how smart that they were um, with all the checks and balances. They understood that people are going to seek absolute power. And just with the three branches of government and understanding, you know, the the way, you know, like the electoral college, just trying to understand 
How is someone going to seek and get power and keep it? Um, and so balance is extremely important in our country. Um, I was I voted for Trump. I thought that his direction for the country is it was better, but it there's a lot of indications that shows that he's not going to be our president anymore. And at the end of the day, um, you have to be on the side of America, whoever the president is, even though I, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. Um, but uh, that's why we have checks and balances. You have to believe that, hey, no matter if it's Trump or Biden, there's enough checks and balances in the system that can even it out. And it's it's not going to be where someone can just run amok and just take over and, and erode our rights. There's the, the those those bill of rights are there because no matter who's president, no one can take them away. At least that's what I thought. So you see, you know, you back up, and you and you look at the freedom of the press, right? And the thought behind the freedom of the press is that. Our journalists have integrity, and they are neutral. Uh, they are arbiters of the truth. That they don't have a side. And I don't know when it was. I don't know who it was. I don't know what it was. But at some point, journalism became monetized in the same way that a sitcom or a movie was. And they started doing data and demographics, not on which personality they liked the best, not on um, the format of the show, but when we report on this, our ratings go up, but when we report on that, the ratings go down. So the first thing that you saw, you know, um, in the in the uh, 20th century, earliest 20th century, that started to shape journalism was, you know, the whole saying, if it bleeds, it leads. So people started reporting on a lot more negative stuff than positive stuff. That's probably the very first thing, really probably from the inception of journalism, that any kind of titillating controversy was going to make make it in the news cycle. But people actually try to report and, and investigate and find out the truth behind that. And even though the news was widely considered negative, no matter if you watch ABC, NBC, you know, you read the New York Times, New York Post, whatever, that they were reporting on certain things as facts based on evidence that they found in their, in their reporting. There was no bias there was no implicit bias. Everyone has bias, but they didn't put it out there, right? And they would report on any politician that was fucking up, no matter what, uh, who they were or what they were. And you started to see that change as we went through the, from the 19th century to the 20th century, especially post-World War II. And I don't know if it was World War II that did it because they probably always did, but I always remember kind of the reporting of the, of World War II and the propaganda that they were feeding the American people of, you know, this virtuous war. 
And not that it wasn't a war that we needed to fight. It absolutely was, but they didn't report on war crimes. They didn't report on any bad shit that, uh, from, the, from the other perspective um, that some of maybe some of our foreign policies or things that we did that, that we should hold ourselves accountable for. Um, and for the most part, Korea was like that. And then Vietnam kind of changed that. We had embedded reporters that were unfiltering and showing things, the realities of war for the first time, and people started um, kind of being on one camp or the other. They didn't just see America as this shining beacon of hope that we were always right. They saw the chinks in the armor and the flaws. And I'm talking modern history. And since then... The every decade, our media has become more cynical and more in search of titillating things. And probably in my lifetime, I mean, I remember Reagan was somewhat polarizing. Uh, but when people say, oh, he was very polarizing, well, he won like 48 states, <laughs> you know, in the election. So he wasn't that polarizing. But probably the first president that I saw um, that people really went after, like Clinton, they went after him, but it's because they should have because he was fucking people in the White House and stuff, right? But like George Bush was the first time I really saw where bias started to come out. That's when Fox News started to become big. That's when you saw a, a fracture in some of the other networks like MSNBC and NPR and, and, and places like starting to go a certain political leaning a little bit harder. Um, and you saw people that were, you saw documentaries by Michael Moore that were completely biased against President Bush that were one-sided, that were edited to, to just make him look stupid and incompetent. And, you know, and, and it was disingenuous because, you know, you could do that without editing, selectively editing. But what it did is people like me that went and saw those movies, and I loved those movies, once I started investigating and realizing that there was select, some selective editing and hyperbole, then you start losing faith in that person uh, when they're doing a documentary. You go, okay, they're just, they have a narrative going into the documentary. So it's not really the same and it's not reporting. And you start to lose faith in those things. And then you see it in, in Fox News. You see it more and more. And then once Obama came into office, it really, I mean, started people flaming uh, those fires. And then Trump, it was just at a whole new level. Now, seemingly so post-Trump era, People are as cynical as they've ever been, probably in human history, in America at least. We don't trust anything. I can tune into any news network or newspaper and I cannot find facts without some kind of bias. I see journalism's just giving opinion pieces. And even when it's just a straight story, they give their inflections and they show their bias. To the point where people start to distrust the media where Donald Trump coins the term fake news and it's become a 
a true term in the lexicon of the American people. And even though people made fun of it at first and and laughed laughed about it, now it's truth. People know fake news. Even the liberal left, you hear them say fake news. Talking about Republicans. Because there's so much of it. You you no matter what side I hear it from, I don't believe it. Because even though there might be a truth to it, I also know they're leaning hard into it depending on the person that they're reporting on. And so let's back up just a little bit again in the early 2000s when social media started becoming a thing. Uh, I shouldn't even say early 2000s, more like the mid, like 2010. Um, and people started getting the power of the people. They started taking back certain things. Once like 2011, 2012, kind of the height of Facebook, you saw information being spread and people could form their own opinions based on news that they read online, independent news sources. There was companies like Vice that were coming out, you know, a few years later that were doing some fantastic reporting before they got bought out by, I think, like Disney. And then Twitter started to erupt. And there for a hot second, Twitter's where I got all my news. Someone would tweet about something and link, you know, put a link in there and you could read and you could hear real time people's opinions, real time, the story unfolding. And then something happened. Trump getting elected changed people's perception of our freedoms and especially the First Amendment. You have giant tech companies that there were people on their platform like Alex Jones who uh, incites a lot of just rhetoric and hyperbole, you know, exaggeration. But there's a lot of stuff that he is factual about, but he's very theatric. And he said a few choice things that for the first time, our social media companies said, we're not going to have this person on our platform. And so you see people go to Twitter jail or Facebook jail. And you saw for the first time people getting pulled off social media platform. And and a term was coined called deplatforming, where people wouldn't have them on their shows. You couldn't, you know, be on... YouTube, you couldn't be on, whatever. And at first I was like, hey, that's, you know, that's a private company. They can, they can do whatever they want. If, you know, if they don't want you on on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, that's their prerogative, right? You better go find a new platform. And that's where I was wrong because I didn't really see, like Benjamin Franklin said, you know, it's just, it's going to slowly erode. And their first, the first things they're going to do is take away things that actually benefit society. That's, that's, that's always how they start. Like after 9-11, when the Patriot Act came out, it's like, hey, we're doing this so we can find terrorists more easily. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, then, then, then I'm fine with it. And people, they were looking at your metadata on your phone. And they were tracking your whereabouts. And they were reading your emails under the guise of the narrative 
that I heard all the time is, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, then you got nothing to worry about. And people go, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. And so they signed away their freedoms. And then as social media grew and we kept signing those terms of service, not realizing that the number one commodity in 2020 is not gold or silver or even Bitcoin. What is it? It's your data. They, you signed away your rights to be able to control or even sell your data in these big multi-billion uh, dollar social media companies sell your data to advertisers so they can sell you shit. And they have so much control and, and, and so much power. And then they started understanding algorithms and how to manipulate their users. And where I watch one thing and it'll steer me toward that even more to, to, to encourage my biases. And after Alex Jones and a couple other people, you're like, okay, these are like extremists. So it's probably good they don't have a platform. Even though when I was growing up, talk shows like Phil Donahue and Oprah had KKK members on. Never deplatforming them. Giving them a voice so everyone could see how ridiculous they sounded. And then something started to shift. You saw seemingly innocuous things that depending on the person who said it, they were getting community strikes or their pages taken down or deleted. There was a couple people that got taken down and it made the news like, why did this person get taken down? And then there started to become a kind of a theme there was a running theme with probably 90% of the people that were being quote unquote deplatformed that theme was political ideology certain political ideologies were throttled down deleted deplatformed canceled at a higher rate than the other one and it was no secret that the people who ran these social media companies they had the opposite political leaning. So now you start to see certain things deemed as hate speech and taken off the platform. Then you have liberals like Kathy Griffin literally take a picture simulating decapitating the president of the United States doesn't get taken down. People started to see the hypocrisy, started complaining. But still the media narrative that by this time was so left-leaning, 85 to 90% of it was way left-leaning, they would never hold them or take them to task. The only time they ever reported on social media uh, censorship was when they wanted something done. The Alex Joneses deplatformed or taken down. Or things like the Hillary Clinton emails were leaked. It's like, oh, 
you can't retweet leaked information. And then you saw once the whole Russia gate with Donald Trump, all the Stormy Daniels stuff, all his tax return stuff, you start to see that has nothing to do with leaked information, privacy, doxing, anything like that. It had everything to do with political ideology because that stuff was readily available. Then you saw something in the most in the last year where everything from the coronavirus to election fraud if it didn't fit that social media company's narrative, liberal agenda, or the media's liberal agenda, then they flagged it as as being false or fake news. And they would have a disclaimer. Or it would just get deleted altogether like with the Hunter Biden story. Not trusting that you have common sense and will do any investigation. Not assuming that that's not their job. Their job is to provide the platform in whichever direction people go with the conversation. That's where they go. No matter, I mean, just imagine Twitter in the the 60s when Kennedy got assassinated or Martin Luther King and all the conspiracy theories were floating around. That's what people would have been talking about on Twitter. It doesn't... Uh, devalue what happened doesn't change history look we didn't have any of that and people still talk about the Kennedy assassination so you're not really changing the narrative so what's the point well the point is provide disinformation in the election year the same political party that was mad that the FBI James Comey talked about Hillary Clinton's email right before an election They're doing the exact same thing by suppressing certain stories weeks before the election, mainly the Hunter Biden story, but releasing stories and allowing stories like Trump's tax returns, which is actually a federal crime um, for them to even publish that stuff. So the media tells you, Nothing to see here. The Hunter Biden story, they won't even acknowledge it. Joe Biden won't even acknowledge it. Media says it's fake news. It's Russian disinformation. But all the other stuff that has been proven under a three-year investigation to be a hoax, the Russian investigation with Trump, they still allow that to go all over the place because, well, political ideology. Things like, The conspiracy of the Twin Towers being an inside job. That's all over YouTube. Alex Jones has taken off. Okay. Okay. Certain things you can search for and find and other things you can't. And you start to realize that it's a new level of censorship. It's even worse than censorship. They are providing a narrative and it becomes state-run propaganda. And I tread very lightly saying that because I don't want to come off to be an Alex Jones conspiracy theorist type of guy, but it you just got to call it for what it is. These people are in bed with the government so they can 
so they can um, maintain their status as whatever code that is where they can't be sued because they're not a publisher. And so they're going to be doing back deals with like every other company with their lobbyists and everything else and and in exchange for certain things. And I'm not saying that they're they're in some dark room making some fucking $100 million drug deal under the table. I'm saying it's an implied thing. Hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. It's an implied thing and it's an ideological thing where you don't have to ask somebody to do it. You you go, no, I'm, I'm woke, so we're just going to throttle back the president of the United States. We're going to literally suspend the account of his press secretary because we don't like the story. Even though the story ended up being 100% true and that Hunter Biden is right now, December 10th, 2020 under federal criminal investigation by the Justice Department. But when they reported on it a month ago, it was fake news. So now we have 100% confirmation that media companies and social media companies suppress this story for a political agenda And a poll came out that showed Democratic voters, the 80% of them, knew nothing about the Hunter Biden story. No details or anything. They might have heard it, but they didn't know any details about it. And 10% of those 80 that voted, these are 80% of ones that voted, assuming they voted for Joe Biden since they're Democrats. 10% of them said that would have changed their mind about how they voted. And 10% would have swung the election by far. 10% of that 80%. So it worked. They achieved. So if it worked, do you think they're going to do it again? What do you think? So you see all these lawsuits, you see all this stuff that Trump's trying to fight And to me, it's newsworthy. But you see, no one's reporting on it. Why? Well, they report on it when it gets thrown out of court, but they don't say why. They don't, there's no media investigation of, hey, this judge wouldn't even look at the evidence and just threw it out of court. Obviously, making a political statement, and they won't even report on it. Like, we want to see the evidence, and we're going to report on the evidence no matter if it goes through the court of law or not. I mean, that's what they... That's what the media does. If somebody leaks something about O.J. Simpson during the trial, the media is going to put it all over the air. They're not like, oh, we can't we can't do that. It could affect the trial. Nope. It's just what the media does. But not anymore. Not if it's for their candidate. But if it's for Trump, no matter if it's the grab him by the pussy thing or tax returns or whatever else, they're going to leak that shit that, you know, two weeks before the election. And don't get me wrong, I understand when the Joe Biden or the Hunter Biden story came out, it was 100% politics that they held that story. But my point is that it's journalism's job to not give a shit about what political party it's. There's corruption, there's evidence, we should investigate it. But it's not done because people 
are on teams now and they have a political agenda to the to the to the point that there's disclaimers on all those Hunter Biden stories or coronavirus uh, misinformation or election fraud shit gets deleted and ignore that phone that's my work phone but I'm on leave I'm on a roll here people um hold on a second where's, where's my fucking phone at I don't even know where I put it okay just ignore it, it it'll shut off so my the point that I'm trying to make here is that they did all those disclaimers changing people's opinion doesn't show up in their feed and what happens people don't believe it because they still trust these news organizations you can't take that back once you've deleted people and suppressed the story well now it's too late now people have already formed their opinion and they've definitely already voted And why it's a problem, because I read this news story the other day, and it hit kind of close to home because they were talking about that this algorithm that they have, there are certain keywords they're looking for, especially on like YouTube and and Twitter and Facebook, that before it could even get 100 views, it's being deleted. And why this hits close to home is because I've been doing this podcast close to four years now. I've told everybody that I'm not trying to make money. I'm not trying to be famous. I, I want to keep my anonymity. I like it being small. And, you know, to be honest with you, I probably only get a couple hundred listeners every episode. I've had as many as a couple thousand, but it really depends on the episode. But I, I get a couple hundred, you know. I get a few people send me messages, stuff like that, you know. But it's it's never going to be a big podcast. I do this for fun. I do this to be able to vent. I like to be the, the man of the people, to, to give my opinions, to to show the, the rest of the world that, hey, you know, just because we're nine to five strap hangers, we still can be active and, and we have minds of our own and we're not as stupid as the media makes us out to sound. And to be an independent voice um, that's that's not tied to corporate sponsors or any of that other shit. Just a... Just a nice laid back internet show. And I'm fine with that. But I always want it to grow a little bit too. To get new listeners. To open people's minds to other ideas. That's the purpose of this. That's the purpose of anyone communicating to anyone. I just use this platform to do it. So at one one point. I started social media pages. I've always had an Instagram. It's never got much of a following. But I don't spend too much time on it. But I decided to do Facebook. I said, okay, I'm going to do Facebook. I've already done Twitter. I'm going to do Facebook and I'm going to do um, ads on Facebook. I'm going to start like a forum, like a group. You know, strange things are afoot at the Circle K group. I'll start a page for Johnny Doe. And uh, Twitter, I'm going to run ads on Twitter and I'm going to run ads on uh, Facebook just to try to up my listenership. I have another podcast it's about dog training. It's um, and it's already bigger than this one because, yeah, I, I can advertise. I can do that and I can grow it. 
and it works. You know, uh, social media marketing works. So I started this page, and the only thing that I posted on my YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, is just links to my podcast. That's it. And then I would do little ads. They were they were short little ads. You you might have seen them before if you've followed me on social media. Um, Johnny Doe underscore one hundred on um, on uh, Instagram, a foot podcast um, on Twitter. I, I post like little you know six second videos, no sound or anything. It just says strange things are foot at the circle K. Download, subscribe, you know all that. The little animated GIF type things doesn't say anything. Doesn't have any anything. That's all I did. And then I was going to boost that. I was going to pay Facebook however much money to uh, essentially send those out to people's pages, right? To try to grow my channel. And I did it. I'm I'm doing it at the same time with my other podcast. And my other podcast, I see all this shit going up. I don't see any feedback from my Strange Things Are Foot at the Circle K. And I'm like, I know this is kind of a polarizing podcast. I know some people hate it. Some people love it. Some people love to hate it. All that shit. But I also think that I'm somewhat pragmatic and and trying to come from uh, the heart. And I was like, it's got to resonate with somebody. And then I log into Facebook. Well, first I get an email from Twitter that says they're not running my ad. And and I violated their terms of service. My ad did. They wouldn't say why. And my ad was literally just a link to my to to my podcast. And I was like, well, what the fuck did I violate? And they don't have to tell you. But you know, my my thing's still up. But like I said, when I when I share things on my Twitter, it never goes anywhere. I never get retweets or anything. And I'm like, man, why why are no one no one seeing? You know, you've heard of shadow banning and stuff. But I'm like, I'm a nobody. I'm not big, uh, nothing. So why would they shadow ban me? So I never, I was like, that's just what people say that have shitty channels. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna adhere to that. And then I get something from Twitter saying you violated our terms of service. Then I go to my Facebook, and lo and behold, it's been deleted. Not, not suspended. Not an email deleted. My YouTube deleted. And this is like a month before the election when I was doing this. Deleted. And I know exactly why. Is because at some point somebody clicked on something and identified me of leaning toward a certain ideology and it made it go away. Because I had titles of my podcast that I'm sure incited or tags that incited certain things like I tagged one of them, hashtag Trump train or hashtag Trump 2020. And I guarantee that's what it was because I was doing my dog training podcast and I don't hashtag any of that shit and nothing happens. The exact same type of ad. I don't have profanity, nothing. No community guidelines that I'm aware of say I can't put a hashtag Donald Trump in there. Went away. And so I was so pissed off. I was like, man, fuck this. Fuck them. I don't give a shit. They don't need my fucking money anyway. Fuck social media. Fuck all that. This is like an old ham radio show at this point where I just, I, I'm just putting it out there in the fucking ether, uploading it to all the podcast places. And if somebody finds it, finds it. But I guarantee the algorithm buries this motherfucker. Fine. I don't give a shit. 
Don't care. Don't do it for that reason anyway. But I thought for a second, I was like, oh, let's see if I can get a few extra listeners. Nope, guess not. Well, I have a problem with that. Not because I give a shit about my listenership as much as I give a shit about a freedoms being eroded and right from underneath our noses and nobody gives a shit. And I understand these are private companies. But how can you tell me that you can just delete somebody's shit without telling them why when they are essentially customers of your product and they are getting all these tax breaks from the government but they're not going to let me voice my opinion oh we're a private company we can say no to whoever but you don't you only say no to certain people that's when it becomes a problem because even though we have laws about discrimination Obviously, they don't apply to social media companies, but they do if you run a bakery and you don't want to make a gay wedding cake. So we have some inconsistencies. So it's troubling to me, and it should be troubling to you because there's nothing that I've ever said on these airwaves that's so controversial that I should ever get deleted or banned from social media. I'm not inciting violence. I think I don't think I do hate speech, but who knows because the definition's always changing. I'm sure somebody could say I'm racist, sexist, homophobe just because um, that's called having an opinion now. If you don't if if a lesbian murders a kid and you're against that lesbian if you mention she's a lesbian, that's now a hate speech, I guess. Even though she murdered somebody, you can't say, put that lesbian in jail. <laughs> you have to say, put that person in jail that murdered that person, you know? My, my, you know, I'm kind of being silly, but I'm being truthful too. Is I, I can't think of one time that I said, hey, I, we should be against this group. Well, unless it's like, liberals. <laughs> but what I'm saying is I don't I'm not a hateful person. So it has nothing to do with that is what I'm saying. I think that in 2020 you can justify deleting somebody because we have no we cannot contextualize conversations anymore. All we do is play gotcha. Is you sit for, listen for certain keywords and to be honest with you, maybe it's just some algorithm that's listening. And, you know, the news story that I read about people's shit getting deleted. I mean, if you said certain things, certain words and certain phrasings, it would automatically, some bot would automatically delete your account or suspend it. Like you said something about coronavirus or you said something about Hunter Biden or whatever else and boop, delete. Crazy that we live in that America. It's troubling because now we have an administration that is on the side of these big tech guys and all the media is on that side too. So you really think they're going to be reporting on certain stories? It's scary to me as just a red-blooded American that trying to live my life, but still, you know, exercise my freedoms. 
especially because you see the First Amendment being attacked, but being attacked kind of um, clandestine, kind of, you know, like a secret war against freedom of speech. And then you see the Second Amendment, it's no secret. Joe Biden says, I'm coming for your fucking guns. And those two things combined is what's scary. One of those things on its own is problematic enough, but when they're like, we're going to take away your freedom of speech, we're going to censor you, we're going to essentially put you, destroy your livelihood if we, if you're a professional that makes your you know, profession in the public eye or on social media or whatever, we can destroy you. And we're really going to take your power away, power of the people by taking all your guns away, making you register, pay a fine if you buy a gun, tax. Not that it matters because people are such pussies. I don't think that it matters at this point. People are just laying over. You know, like that submissive dog, you walk up to it and it just rolls over on its back and shows its dick and balls and be like, oh, don't kill me. You know, that's how American people are now. They're just so submissive. And I just don't know what the next few years hold um, for regular working Americans that just want their freedoms. They want to be left alone. So maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Um, Hopefully you notice that I try to take a little bit of passion, uh, not passion, but uh, anger out of my voice this this podcast because I'm really trying to look at it diplomatically. And um, I've let my emotions get away from me the last couple episodes because I've been so pissed off. Now I'm like done with all that and I'm just kind of like, okay, reassessment time. And you're looking at the world and I'm trying to look at it from other perspectives. And I just, right now, I just don't see it. I don't see how there's not a effort being made, no matter if it's a conspiracy or not, no matter if it's just group thought. Like, I I think it's more probably like that, just a bunch of like-minded people that are all, they're not trying to work together, but at the same time, they're kind of helping each other out, you know? Um and feeding this narrative and we have politicians that won re-election that want to defund the police. They want to, you know, they, they want kids on hormone blockers when they're four years old and transitioning to other genders. And we've just lost our perspective and we are protecting freedoms that nobody wants and giving up the freedoms that this country was founded on. Very, very perplexing to me. And I'm not smart enough to figure it out, I guess. So um, I'm just going to be here talking about it. And hopefully somebody can, uh, cooler heads will prevail. And maybe somebody um, can get into power that actually has some common sense. That understands what made this country great to begin with. And why people have the freedoms that they do to be able to make those silly choices that that's the irony is those freedoms gave people the opportunity, the Ilhan Ilmars of the world, the Rashida Tlaibs, the AOCs that they're in power because of 
the people that died for this country's freedoms so they could come here and rise to the highest uh, civilian offices of their communities as immigrants or as first or second generation immigrants or as minorities and just in general that I've said it before, but once we started actually, you know, when we abolished slavery and civil rights, all we were doing was saying, no, we're actually going to follow the Constitution. All men are created equal. We're actually going to follow that. Uh, up to this point, we haven't been. We, we interpreted it wrong, but we didn't have to change it. We added some stuff, but we didn't have to take anything away. We're, we're, we're just adding to it because that's what the founding fathers always wanted. There's a reason they were very specific with those words. It's because everybody should have those freedoms and we should allow people to come to this country legally and become citizens and rise to whatever office or have whatever responsibilities or, you know, the world is your oyster at that point. And the Constitution gives you the freedoms to do that. And unfortunately, those same people that utilize those brave men and women that, uh, but mostly men, let's be honest, um, that founded this nation, those checks and balances they put into place rose those people to power, and now they're wanting to erode those same freedoms, which is fucking crazy. It's like, how stupid are you to not realize that that, piece of old parchment is what gave you the power that that you could do what you're doing and say the things that you say with impunity more or less crazy to me so but that's all I wanted to say about this uh, I needed to get this off my chest um, I'm hoping to steer this podcast back on the rails of some other happenings in in my life uh personal growth challenges that i've been doing i have not been sharing because i've just been uh I, I use this platform to vent like i've said before right wrong or indifferent i say okay i gotta get this out because i don't want to be that angry person in the world i would rather just be it take the johnny doe persona and put it out um here and not you know yell at my wife or yell at my coworkers or, you know, I want to generally be a happy person in life. So, um, but trust me, there's lots of things to report on some changes that are going to be happening in my life. A little precursor to the next episode, some definitely some new personal growth challenges, getting out of my comfort zone and some possible big changes for me. So, um, I will definitely let you guys know, um, if, if I have any listeners left, because who knows what's going to happen to this podcast. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's a weird, weird thing when you see that your shit gets deleted and you're a nobody that had a few hundred followers and you're like, what? <laughs> uh, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, as always, you can check me out at foot podcast on Twitter. Send me a message, send me email message on Twitter or uh, uh, Johnny Doe underscore 100 on uh, on Instagram, just so I know that this is getting out there to people. I mean, I'm starting to wonder. I mean, I have some some acquaintances that tell me they listen and stuff like that, but um, it it really does. It's kind of a scary thing that that you that you 
try to use what these platforms are for. And if someone just doesn't like your opinion, they can they have the power to 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 bury your shit where no one can ever find you. And it's uh, you know that's a rough business. That's a rough business. You know, um, you can say private company this, private company that, but just imagine if you had like a small like, hey, I'm a I have my own barbecue sauce and I made a deal with my local Kroger or Piggly Wiggly to sell it on their shelves and they're going to put it right next to, you know, Gates and Casey Masterpiece and all these big barbecue sauces, you know? Um, and then you come find out that um, those big companies pressure the, the store to hide your shit behind some cereal where no one will find it. And they're like, well, we still have it on our shelves. And you're like, but I'm paying you money to put it on my shelves, like distributors or whatever fees. I'm doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. But yeah, you're not making any money off me, but but you still agreed to sell my stuff and you're hiding it. That's what it feels like, is that it's not a fair fight because it was never fair to begin with. If someone has a couple million followers and you have a couple hundred or a couple thousand, you can't compete with those people anyway. Well, you definitely can't when they throttle your channel down or they completely delete it and those people with millions of followers can say whatever the fuck they want. That's that's what's scary is because in this country, no matter where you started from, you can rise to the top, but they're changing the rules of the game on social media and just the media in general, so... Anyway, reach out if you guys feel the need. Uh, Till next time, afootpodcast.com. This is Johnny Doe signing out. Peace.